God, we thank you for this day, Lord. For the gorgeous sun that reminds us of your love for us as we feel it on our faces and we remember that you are good, God. We thank you for the beautiful uh, setting that we live in, Lord, and the creation around us that sings your praises and yet, and yet, God, all of it would be nothing without us knowing you. And so, Lord, we praise you that in Jesus' name we can come together this morning and connect, that we can open your word and hear it and know what it means for our lives. And Lord, we just pray, would you give us ears to listen this morning? God, would you change us from the inside out that we would leave this place different than we came? God, as we say, you are the potter and we are the clay, Lord, so make us and mold us and shape us to shine for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Please be seated. How are we doing this morning? Tell you what, I, I, you know, I was thinking on the way to Legacy, though, uh, that this weather is so incredible. I, my, my goal for the day is to, to get, get, get into worship and then maybe a little bit of skiing and then maybe fishing all in one day. We'll call it the trifecta. What do you think? Get it all done together. Um, I, I want us to turn our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Luke, we're going to go to chapter 10, verses 25 um, to 37. And before we get going, let, let me just set this up. Um, if you are new today, welcome, welcome. Um, we are right in the midst of this series where we've been unpacking this new vision for Spring Hill. Um, and it goes something like this. Um, we can say it together if you want. Uh, we believe God is leading us to be a church to call home where relationships flourish, generations connect, and neighbors are loved for the glory of God. And, and so we're now four Sundays now into this rollout. Um, and today we're looking at what it means to love our neighbor as we step into this new direction together. What does it mean to love our neighbor? Let's turn then to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Hear now God's word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go. And do likewise. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
So weeks ago, uh, our elders gathered up with all of the leadership of Spring Hill and we presented this new direction that we feel God is leading us in. And first we walked through what it means to be a church to call home and everyone sort of nodded their heads. And then we explained this concept of flourishing relationships and we, we went on to define what it means to be intentionally, intergenerationally connected to one another. Everybody seemed to understand that. And finally, we got to this concept of loving our neighbors, and everyone was in agreement with this. We know this is a command. To follow Christ is to love your neighbor. But then we began wrestling with, how do we define that word? What do we mean by the word neighbor? Like, just who is that? If, if we're going to love our neighbor in this apprenticeship to Christ, what does that look like? Do we mean the person sitting next to us in church? That was discussed. Or is it that house across the street, our literal neighbor, maybe the apartment next door? Is it that person on the plane who wants to move their seat back for us? Is it my coworker? Is it, is it the countries that we border? Is it the, the next town over? What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? And this is a significant topic for us to wrestle with, right? Because for the Christian, loving your neighbor, that's everything. That's what Christ has called us to do. But as I've been praying on this, I think we've been asking the wrong question. In our lesson this morning, this expert of the law, he comes to Jesus with the exact same inquiry. Just who is my neighbor, he asks Christ. And by the end of this parable, we're gonna find this morning that Jesus wrecks this man's world reorients his entire question with an answer that no one saw coming. But if we're gonna understand the punchline of this story, um, it requires that we stop and consider this parable carefully because we bring some baggage to it. Because this scripture really isn't about our, the identity of our neighbor. That's not what this passage is about. This parable is about us living a neighborly life. So Jesus turns this question on its head, and to do this, we, we meet this character, known today by millions across the world as the Good Samaritan. If you Google the word Samaritan uh, under the news section of our, our Google, you will find hundreds of stories published just this week alone. Let me lay a few out to you. In Georgia, this first picture you'll see on the screens, that the police were chasing this shoplifter right outside of Home Depot. Anybody see this? And as the news reported it, this good Samaritan, that's the guy on the right, pushed the shopping cart right into the path of this criminal. And as he planned, the offender ran right into it, flopped head over heels, and suddenly the chase was over. The parking lot crime fighter is now famous overnight. In South Carolina, a family of five just this week somehow drove their van off a bridge into a freezing waters below. Two others watched this go down and they immediately swam into the river to help pull this family to safety. And by the grace of God, all five, including an infant, made it out alive. The police said, had it not been of these two good Samaritans, things would have been far worse. In Rochester, New York, the news has been reporting on this mysterious good Samaritan who has been leaving new winter coats hanging from trees for the homeless. No one has any idea who this person is, but they say this act of kindness is transforming the entire neighborhood. Others are following suit with creative deeds of their own. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word Samaritan, I think, man, I wanna be like him. I wanna be like her. 
What a hero. And in fact, I looked through dozens of headlines this week and not once did I see the word Samaritan used in any other way. We've taken this parable of Christ and this Samaritan man that he used and we've turned him into like a typecast for humanitarian awards. But when it comes to this lesson, here's the challenge. If we lay that heroic definition on top of this parable, we actually lose the entire message. Because in the context of Jesus' day and in the context of his audience, this idea of a Samaritan would have been repulsive. This is key. That the Jewish population that Jesus was speaking to, they would have heard this as a four-letter word. A Samaritan would be the last person that you would look up to. And yet Jesus takes this rejected character and he uses this man to change everything we ever thought we knew about loving our neighbor. And so this morning, I have just one claim. It's just one thought. This is one of Ryan's one-point sermons, so it should be easy, and this is it. This is my conviction after praying this passage over and over again for our church. Look at this on the screens. When it comes to loving our neighbors, it's not about defining who they are. It's about transforming how we live. It's not about defining who they are. It's about transforming how we live. I'm going to walk this proposition out and I want you to be the jury because here's my case. I think when it comes to this parable, we've misplaced what loving our neighbor is really about. So let's just walk this through one verse at a time. Look at this first in verse 25. A lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test. He says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? I want us to imagine for a minute a rabbi and his students gathered together and around. And then this expert of the law stands up to test his teacher. This act of standing typically would be a, a motion of respect to stand up before you asked of your teacher this question. But this man, he has ulterior motives. He wants to test Jesus. And he asked this question that every soul across generations has asked for centuries. What do I have to do in order to live forever? How do I inherit eternal life? And like any good teacher of the faith, Jesus now points him back to the scriptures for the answer. He says, what does the law say? How do you read it? You explain it to me. We've come to know this style as the, as the Socratic method of teaching. You might be familiar with that. You might remember the, the teaching style of Socrates. He used to sit with his students and there would be this back and forth of questioning of his views and his students' views. His views and his students' views until finally a contradiction emerged in the debate. Once the contradiction was exposed, the lesson was obvious. So this religious leader, he's stepped into this, this debate and he's been preparing his entire lifetime for this moment. And he knows exactly what the scripture says. In fact, this is quite impressive. He's recited it by memory and Jesus agrees with him. Look at this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he nails it. In fact, Jesus affirms him in this. Look at this in verse 28. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now just consider the impact of this moment. This lawyer has been told that if you keep the law, you will be saved. If you love God with all you have and you love your neighbor as yourself, eternal life is yours. All of the law and all the prophets hung on these two commandments. 
In fact, you can go home and you can take the Ten Commandments. You can find out all the Ten Commandments fall into these two categories, either loving God or loving neighbor. And yet this isn't what the religious expert is looking for. He doesn't want to know the law. He wants to be justified by it. He's lived his entire life skirting the truth because the way he sees it, not everyone is his neighbor. He gets to pick and choose. Not everyone deserves his love. Look at this, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And yet loopholes will only get us so far. Taylor and I went to the mall this week for an orange Julius. Taylor's my, my five-year-old. And, uh, and whenever we go out, we take turns asking each other questions back and forth. And so right off the bat, I asked her this question. I've asked her many times before. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Of course, at this age, every time the answer changes. But this time she was super excited. There was like this twinkle in her eye. She said, I want to be a police officer. I was like, that's my girl. <laughs> Welled up with pride. I thought, oh, she knows right from wrong. This is so great. And I asked her, I said, what is it that makes you want to be a police officer? She said, well, I learned in school that police officers arrest people who break the law, right? I'm thinking, oh, geez, where's she going with this? She said, and I got to thinking, what if I accidentally broke the law? And then she went on to say, well, I figured it out. If I become a police officer, then no one can arrest me. <laughs> this is that moment where I remind us of the importance of uh, a village raising a child. <laughs> no, but this expert comes to Christ with, with this concern not with the spirit of the law, but he's obsessed with the letter of the law. Where's the loophole? What's the bare minimum that I can do to get away with this? See, at the time, there were these ancient books of oral tradition. Uh, they were known as uh, books like the Syrac that, that would have wrongly permitted Jews to abstain from helping others in certain situations. They taught that if a person was outside of Jewish tradition, if they were seen as impure or in sin, then you were off the hook. That filth wasn't your neighbor. No need to love on them. They, they don't matter. And now this back and this forth with the student and teacher is at a crossroads because the expert in the law believes he's achieved perfection, and yet Jesus knows full well, full well that this man is actually lost. He had misplaced what it means to love your neighbor, and his question proves it. And yet, instead of calling him out, as only Jesus can do, he tells him a story. Look at this in verse 30. So Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite came to the place and he saw him and passed on the other side. This is a made-up story of Jesus and yet it wasn't all that far from reality. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem is 17 miles long. It meandered through hills and valleys and canyons and caves. And in these caves, it was well known that there were bands of thieves waiting to rob you. Even more convincing was the fact that Jericho was a city full of priests. And so it wouldn't be uncommon for a priest to be traveling along this exact same road after their temple duties were completed in Jerusalem. And so first this priest 
sees a man beaten and robbed, laying in the dirt, but instead of stopping to render aid, he passes to the other side. We don't know why. This isn't a concern Jesus wants to get involved with. And then comes a Levite. And Levites are the cream of the crop, remember. Levites, they were the ones in charge of the temple in Jerusalem. They were ordained to lead God's people in worship. The priestly tribe, the only tribe who wasn't given land because their land was the temple. But for whatever reason, the Levite, he too passes on the other side. Now just imagine with me that you're the lawyer standing in front of Jesus. You know the law well. You know your Jewish culture well. This might be what you were thinking. If the priest in his piety didn't stop, and the Levite in his righteousness didn't help. Who else could there be? There is no one else. And here comes the gut punch. Here's the clincher. Look at how Jesus says this. So a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him in his own animal and brought him up to the inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Just the word Samaritan would have set a Jewish crowd on fire. They were despised. A Samaritan by definition came from the land of Samaria. This was the place where the Jews had intermarried with the pagans. A Samaritan to a Jew was a half-breed. Samaritan meant defilement. They, they weren't just second class, they were enemies. In fact, in John's gospel, they compare them with demons. No way would a Samaritan one-up a Levite in this case scenario. That doesn't happen. See, Jesus is laying out some fighting words. And look at how Christ systematically pushes the line even further. Look at this. Not only did he help this despised man, but look in your Bible if you have them. He bandaged his wounds. He pours oil and wine over this man as a healing ointment. He puts him on a donkey. He carries him to the end, and then he offers to pay whatever he needs to pay to lavishly love on him as he would himself. And yet there's still a lingering question in this story that we haven't answered. Who is the neighbor? See, at first glance, I think as this parable begins, we would think that the neighbor is the man lying on the street who's been beaten and robbed. That's how the entire lesson started, right? Wanting to justify himself, the expert in the law said, who is my neighbor? Who is the object of the love that you're calling me to, God? If we're to love others as we love ourselves, who is this person? But watch how Jesus shifts this nuance here. Christ says you only have three choices. You only have three choices, and the question isn't about who the neighbor is. The question is, who proved to be the neighbor? Don't miss this. This is verbal jiu-jitsu at its finest. Is it the Levite, Jesus says? Is it the priest, or is it the Samaritan? Which of these three do you think, in verse 36, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You picking up what I'm throwing down? The only one wounded on the ground who we would think was the neighbor is not an option. Why is that? Here's why. 
if you see your lifestyle as neighborly, then everyone is your neighbor. It's not about defining who your neighbor is or isn't. It's about realizing that wherever we go, we are the neighbor. I mean, am I starting to sound like Mr. Rogers up here? What? Jesus takes this selfish, legalistic question and he transforms it into a selfless mission. Let me say it like this. The lawyer comes and he sees this idea of neighbor as a noun. Give me a name. Give me a people group. Who can I exclude from this commandment? But for Christ, this concept of neighbor isn't a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. When it comes to loving our neighbors, it's not about defining who they are. It's about transforming how we live. One commentator said it like this. He said, one does not have a neighbor, one is a neighbor. Or better yet, one becomes a neighbor. So Jesus asked this expert of the law, who is it that proved to be the neighbor? And this lawyer has no choice but to state the obvious, but he certainly knows better than to name the four-letter word of Samaritan, so he describes him instead. It was the one, he says in verse 37, who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, Go and do likewise. Back in 1998, a boy uh, named Christopher was playing basketball in downtown Chicago. And a rival gang drove by looking for a random target in the neighborhood. And as they, they found this boy, they opened fire right over the court. They sped off, leaving Christopher for dead. He'd been hit more than once. And his friends now frantically raced him around the block just outside a hospital nearby, carrying him by hand. And as they got to about 30 feet, they stopped in exhaustion, set him down, and ran inside for help. But to their surprise, the hospital was able to do nothing. They had this standing policy that doctors could only treat patients on the inside walls in order to protect people from the dangerous neighborhood outside. And so with their help, they called 911 and the police arrived. And following procedures and protocols, the police called for an ambulance they said, look, only the EMTs are really qualified to stabilize this young man and get him into the doors. And then they sat waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, the friends convinced the officers to help Chris get into this emergency room, but by the time they got him in the doors, it was too late. See, everyone was so caught up in this letter of the law that they forgot the spirit of the law. Everyone was so focused on the excuses and definitions of what was and what wasn't that they had misplaced what should have been. When it comes to loving our neighbors, it's not about defining who they are. It's about transforming how we live. Jesus tells us lawyers, you see that example? Go and live and do that Likewise. And this is a perfect parable for us. We're called to serve the widow and to love on the poor and the fatherless and the homeless and the helpless, the wounded and the sick. All that's true, but don't miss the punchline this morning. This is not a story about a man who's healed on the side of the road. Nearly as much as this is a story about something far more eternal than that. This is about a prideful religious expert who is in desperate need of knowing his wretched state. Remember, this entire lesson began with a man's question about salvation. He believed that by his works he was qualified for eternity. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
He knows the word perfectly. He believes he's lived it to a T. And yet, by the end of this parable, it's not the expert who's living out God's will. It's the one who was believed to be an outcast. It's the dirty, rotten, no good, four-letter word, Samaritan. Jesus could have told this lawyer from the very beginning how wrong he was, how lost he was. He could have flat out said, you failed to keep the law and you know it full well. But in perfect Socratic method, the inconsistency is now found. And this man who thought he had it all figured out is now faced with the fact that he too has failed to love his neighbor as himself. See, I believe that Jesus told this story not so that we could have a stereotype for our social justice headlines and our humanity awards. Now, I believe he told this story so that a man who believed himself perfect and righteous and holy would finally see how lost he really was. Jesus loved him enough to allow him to come to that own conclusion and then affirmed him in it. You know, I've always found the command to love your neighbor fascinating. You ever thought about that? Because we rarely get to pick who our neighbor is. We don't get to pick who sits next to us on the plane. We don't get to pick who moves in next door. We, most of the time, we don't get to pick who we work with or who our clients are. And I think this command is such a challenge because how in the world do we truly love someone as we love ourselves? I mean, is that even possible? And yet Jesus takes the most despised man, a Samaritan in all the land, and he lives this out. So what do we mean when we say we're a church where neighbors are loved? I think we mean this. Let's not define the neighbor. Let's be the neighbor. I want to close with our time together this morning with one example of what that looks like. goes along with the one point. And, uh, and I want to invite Dr. Sean Gillis to come up here in a minute. Um, Sean is about as humble as they come. Um, but when I caught word of what God has been doing in her life, I said, you, ha- you have to come and share this in front of the church. And this is what happened. A few months ago, I got this prayer request on one of those cards in the seat pockets in front of you. It said, please, please pray for me as I undergo surgery for a kidney transplant. When I first read it, I thought, oh my goodness, I had no idea Sean was in need of a kidney. I mean, this doctor had helped Jen and I with our baby Addie. And I'm thinking, oh no. And as I'm reaching up to pick the phone, I reread the message and I realized Dr. Gillis wasn't in need of a kidney. She was donating one. A medical doctor who knew full well what surgery meant, who knew the risks, knew what it looked like, knew what it would be like, and yet who she is in Christ led her to do something I can't even fathom. So as we think about that question, who is my neighbor? Sean, I wanna invite you to come up. We're not all gonna donate kidneys at the end of service today, I promise. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, for the work that you've done in Sean's life. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help us this week not only to see the need, Lord, but unlike those two men, Lord, make us like the Samaritan to meet the need. Lord, that we would be a neighbor to all those who we come in contact with as your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.